0: It is the Two Guys Garage Podcast. He is Kevin Byrd. I am Willie B is presented by CarParts.com. Check out that mobile experience. and I'm telling you, they got brakes for every single application out there. Grab yours today. My man, Kevin, I know you're fired up, boy. Our boy, Chris, is one of those... We nicknamed him the Einstein of additives because you basically, you pop him off with one question and he'll give you the long form answer and teach you about 10, 12, 15 different things that you're completely oblivious to. I love talking to this guy.
1: Yeah, I mean, I started out with the guru of goo, but uh, you topped it with Einstein of additives. And we're talking about (laughs) anything, lubricants, oils, transmission fluid, you name it, right? And, you know, it would seem like such a maybe uninteresting topic, but- Chris and his crew there at Hotshot Secret, man, somehow they turn it into like, you know, watching the Science Channel, right? And going down and exploring Jacques Cousteau under the sea. And, you know, you're looking at all the fish, and the next thing you know, you're just staring out the window of this submarine. You're like, this is awesome. And you're like, wait a minute, we're talking about oil. But, you yeah, know, man. why is oil important? It's not because oil is really that cool, although he makes it cool. It's because it, it makes all of our cool stuff last longer you know not fail and when it shouldn't fail and and so it's just an integral part of our life and let's have some more fun with them man that's gonna be cool yeah man
0: yeah it's funny because i hear as I'll drive to work sometimes. So I do the morning show, you guys. Uh you know, Kevin, he's he's one of the higher ups at Ford. Me, I you know, I'm a morning show for a rock radio station. That's my regular nine to five. Um, and sometimes I drive to work and I flip through different news channels just catching up on, you know, what to talk about, if there's anything important and, and I'll I'll hear Chris's commercial for Hot Shot Secret, uh on you know on different radio stations and one in particular that's uh, that's a big fan of truckers, and it talks about stiction, and it breaks down in the commercial a little bit as much as possible. Uh, what he's doing and what it does, and it's funny because I'm like, yeah, I know a lot more than what they're saying in that commercial, uh, and I know the man behind it sure does too. But yeah, it's funny because Chris even does a, a late night, you know. Basically a, a show devoted to uh, to a lot of people out there on the road uh, moving you know product to and from in, in, the, in the big tractor trailers. So he is thorough in everything there is to, to be in uh, when it comes to lubricants, additives, uh, how to make your oil last forever. And I'm telling you, this is one of these podcasts, guys, where you're absolutely going to learn a lot. So please take note, grab a pencil. This is going to be fun, man. Yeah, absolutely.
1: And I tell you, I mean, before we hit the break, uh, what, what's quite interesting is these guys are problem solvers, right? Because there's oil out there. We can buy it in every other color, brand, you name it. Um, and it's more of a commodity, right? We can go buy, you know, tissue paper, right? Yeah, this one's a little rougher. This one's a little smoother. Uh, if but, you're
0: lucky, you can buy tissue paper. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, depending <laughs> on where you
1: are in the pandemic. Um, uh-huh. But these guys are problem solvers. So it's amazing how many issues there are with whether it's, you know, turbo coking, like, Willie mentioned injector, injector sticking or stiction. Uh, you know, oil breaks down. We've got problems in the field, and these guys are figuring out the chemistry to remove varnish and remove deposits, get those parts moving again, get them lubricated. Uh, but it's a it's a complicated chemistry. But they're out there solving problems for the world, and that's why you know I mentioned the podcast and things that uh, depending on what application you have, there could have been or could be. Uh, you know a field type issue and uh these guys are the ones that are there uh, putting together products specifically to help us out so how about taking us out man we'll come back
0: and bring in chris and uh, i think we got a buddy coming on today too that uh, we're gonna have a double talk all right man it is the two guys garage podcast he is kevin Bird. i am willie b we're back with chris the einstein of additives on the two guys garage podcast
2: Find a location near you at Bankofamerica.com slash talk to us.
1: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for
2: select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and A member FDIC.
0: It is the Two Guys Garage Podcast. He is Kevin Bird. I am Willie Beat as presented by Carparks.com brakes for every single application you no know, year make model man you can get those things dropped right to your front door back door wherever you need them check out that mobile experience today carparts.com. hey chris we love having mr chris cabral check on here because I- i'm telling you man you're a teacher bro this is one of those things that we love having you on because people are going to learn a lot so welcome to the podcast my friend
2: well, thank thanks for having me. I, I brought my sidekick Kevin Adams. He's our vice president of <laughs> research and development, and I'm glad to be here.
0: Awesome.
1: Very very cool. Um, you know, Chris, how long have you guys been you know doing this type of work? How many decades now has it been going on?
2: Next year will be our 25th anniversary. Wow. Yeah, we start we started off industrial commercial solving problems, coming up with you know novel ideas on how to fix. You know, air compressors, line equipment at some of the automotive plants, coal plants, glass plants. Um, it, was, it was a lot of fun. Actually, the job was a lot more fun back then because that was my main function was to see how things were made. You know, one day you're in anchor hawking watching them make glass goblets. The next day you're in um, a steel mill watching them make steel. The next day it could be a coal mine. It's, that was a really fun time.
1: What are the couple of different kinds of, you know, different problems that you've, you've seen, like when you were doing the industry type, type work, because, you know, a lot of people haven't really thought about, you know, how metal to metal, you know, galling, scraping, wearing, you know, all of the fundamentals and the mechanisms. Um, But the lubrication, right, it's, it's slippery and you go, oh, that's slick. Okay. That's all I need. It's something slippery, but there's so many elements in there. Uh, But just maybe a couple on, you know, what you've kind of crossed in your, your travels there, you know, solving salute, you Know what sleuthing, <laughs> if you would do like the uh, you know, the uh, you know, investigator and, and figuring out um, you know, what is actually happening. Uh, is it a wear problem, a stiction problem? Uh, like I said, some coking. Uh, what are some of the interesting ones that you've seen over the years?
2: Just like you said, it's sleuthing. So, normally we start off from the, the highest picture, and it's like, what's happening? Well. I remember one time there was an automotive plant. They said that the air compressors were breaking down every eight months. And they had some astronomical number. Like every time it goes down, this costs us $10,000 every 15 minutes. You know, we've tried different oils. We've tried different things. And we just don't understand why it keeps going down. So we started off with checking the temperatures of everything and then the vibration controls to see what was happening. In the end, what I figured out was that the, the air breather was constricting too much air going in, which was starving. It was causing the oil to overheat. And that was causing the oil to bake prematurely. And then it was shutting down the whole system because it was, you know, just not functioning well. So we just, a a larger air breather is all that was needed. Um, There's been, there's been other times where sometimes uh, systems are made to, you know, with today's technology, we have a lot of sensors. Uh, There was a, a, just a gigantic or ginormous, ginormous, it would be almost like a CNC machine, but it was three stories tall. So this thing was made to make these gigantic gears that had to be cut into four to put on a semi-truck to be shipped out. I don't know where the gears went, but the the problem was it, it kept breaking down every eight, 10 hours and they had engineers. It was a prototype unit that engineers coming in from, from Germany and they said, we're just going to build a new machine. You know, this one was a prototype but they had all these back orders. And he said, every time we put a, a billet on there, it's $50,000. So I was watching it for about a day and keeping an eye on it. And it was, I mean, they had built a special wing on the air condition this this area. It was, it was a huge piece of equipment. And I was watching how the the coolant, which is the the part of the it's like a oil if you can imagine it but it's water-based and it's made to keep the tool cool so when you're grinding steel you know this creates a lot of heat so a coolant kind of keeps it cool and lubricated so it doesn't overheat and you know burn things up well i was watching the coolant go through and i'm asking him how's that how does that work is said, well there's sensors on there that tell it exactly where to move you know a computers controlling it to cut the gear teeth out well i'm looking at the coolant there's all these little like metal fragments in it from what wasn't filtered out. And I said, you know, it seems like those metal fragments are going to act like a sandblaster, and it's going to throw a lot of vibration on there, which is going to throw all those sensors off. And he's like, well, I never thought about that. So we put a special filter on it and started filtering the the coolant, and lo and behold, the things started working perfectly. And you know, just he's like, you know, nobody thought about that. I said, well, I'm just thinking about the vibration of how much. You know you put it in a like a pressure washer is what it was and it's just pelting it with metal fragments it's just it's causing all sector vibration throwing everything out of out of whack so that was one of the fun jobs that we had
1: yeah it's it's interesting because it's it, it could be a number of different things right it could be the chemistry of the you know the fluid the oil or whatever additives or it could be just right outside call them noise factors that you know they're they're for outside of what you would think would be the scope of the particular problem but uh yeah, I imagine you had quite a few, you know, different, interesting things to figure out over time.
2: And so that's what the study of tribology is. You're, you're studying everything. It's not just the oil. It's the surface. It's the um, speeds. It's the viscosity. You're looking at the whole process to try to figure out, you know, what's, what's causing um, problems, even if it's just inefficiency. I mean, could it be... Um, air bubbles, you know, what, what are air bubbles doing to our hydraulic system here? So you're, you know, the study, again, the the study of tribology is looking at all 17 disciplines and understanding all of them, not just the chemistry or not just the oil, not just the surface, but the whole beginning to end of the process.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm familiar with, you know, like engine side. Um, and you know, one of the things that I have to deal with quite a bit is, uh, you know, the power cylinder. So the cylinder block, the surface finish on the liner, uh, the pistons and the ring interface and all that and and there's all you know we, we've kind of dialed in over the years what the home finish should be on a cylinder wall but but it's a great example of where um right your cylinder wall isn't perfectly smooth you can kind of rub it with your fingernail and you can feel the grooves in there and it's for a very specific reason uh because you've got two parts that are sliding you know the piston's got a lot of side forces especially when the crank rotates around the rod is at an angle so it's pushing you know down but also sideways into the bore so you got the skirt really shoving in there and sometimes you see coatings on the piston uh but there's a surface finish on on both parts but the surface finish on the block side is specifically meant to retain a certain amount of oil so that you can create you know sort of a hydrodynamic film to get the parts to you know slide Without necessarily touching and rubbing, because they would wear out, or they would seize, or scuff, or gall. Uh, so, yeah, there's so many factors with moving parts. That's not just like you said one thing. You got what in your case you mentioned 17 different aspects that you're trying to pay attention. The type of material, what materials want to weld onto each other. So why do you have a steel crank, but you typically have some kind of aluminum or soft bearing or a bronze worth of steel? You know, so you got the chemistry of the metals. You've got the chemistry of, of just the, the oil itself, but all the additives. So you got different components inside the oils that are bonding to the metal parts, trying to create separate layers. I mean it's it's a little bit complex. Well, the byproducts from
2: the combustion process. I mean there's everything gets in there. So.
1: screwing it all up, yeah. I mean you, you start out with a perfect environment and just like you said, you know, in the engine you've got blow by. So you've got a lot of pressurized gases burning in the chamber there, but it's some of those are leaking past the rings and into the, you know, into the sump, into the oil. So now you have burnt gases creating nasty chemistry. So there's corrosion and other kind of issues in there. So ugh, that's a big job. It's not nearly as simple as one might think. Well, that's, you know, that brings up a good <laughs> no.
2: point. A lot of people don't realize, you know, when the oil's been in there for a while, even if you don't have a lot of miles on it, you know, you've started that corrosion process. So you started to build up acids in there. You know, you, you've you got blow by going through there. So now you've introduced these acids into your oil. So maybe I've got a boat that's out on the lake and I've only run it for 20 or 30 hours and I'm gonna let it sit for two years because I'm really busy and don't have time to get to it. Well, now you've got that acid inside the oil and it's gonna do damage. Now the degree of damage will depend on how pure the you know the fuel was and how much acid was actually produced in the oil. But you are, you are creating nitric acids and sulfuric acids and things of those, that nature inside there. So you have to be cognizant of that and just make a decision that, hey, I know i you know, I know I've only got, you know, 50 hours on this engine, on this oil change, but I'm going to go ahead and change oil because I know I'm not going to get to it for a year. Yeah, you know, that's the good decision to make because you still want to keep material oil in there and get the impurities out.
1: Yeah, I struggle with that one every year because, uh, you know, up here in Michigan, we've got, you know, cold fall and freezing cold winter, so we got to winterize everything, shove it away for five months, six months. Um, and just like you said, I mean, I've got a couple of boats, one I'll hammer pretty good wakeboarding, the other one just button around on the pontoon. And, uh, yeah, sometimes I might get one tank of gas, you know, like I said, 10, 20 hours at the most. And I'm like, man, that oil is fresh. You look at it, it smells good, looks good. like, man, should I let it sit in there? So what actually happens, you know, you said you build up acids. So what in the engine, uh, will happen over time if you, if you leave some of that, uh, You know, older oil sitting in there. Yeah, how bad is it? Because I know a lot of us have hot rods that we park, we have boats, we have RVs, we have all kinds of toys that we use sporadically. Even if it's not over the winter, you know, sometimes it's six months before you get back on your bike or whatever it is, you know?
2: Generally speaking, on a gas engine, it's much, much less than diesel, but there is acid being built up in there. Now, on a diesel, as you know, there's a lot more acid being built up because of the nitric acid and the sulfuric acid. But... You know, on the gas side, there are products out there like our TVN booster that have a detergent package in it specifically to fix that problem. So if the oil still looks good, I know it's going to sit there for a bit, like one ounce of TVN booster will you know, give you enough protection to last for a year. So that's a, it's a a dollar fix to something that could cost a lot more now how bad would it be it's not going to be horrible it's not like the acid is going to eat a hole through the bottom of your engine but it might cause some premature etching some you know areas in there and just depending on how much you're going to use it i mean honestly most of people i know that have rvs and boats never use up one tenth of the life of that engine anyway (laughs) just because we don't have enough time you know right i mean that's true I mean, you just yeah. think about it. I mean, you get an RV; it's got after ten years, it's got thirty thousand miles on it. It's you know, it's it's a million mile engine. It's just hard to get that much time in an RV or a boat.
1: But a TBN booster would be the way to try to prolong the life because you know, even on some of these you know newer vehicles, uh, the oil change interval intervals are getting farther and farther apart. So you know, it used to be always three thousand miles change your oil. Well, you know, for most people uh, that that don't know, you know, a lot of those mild You know, mile requirement changes were due to engines actually ingested and burned oil. So, you know, they wanted to make sure that after 3,000 miles, uh, there was still enough oil in the sump that you didn't run dry. Uh, So, you know, they're getting better and better with uh, ring design, you know, improving the the surface finishes, you know, on the liners we talked about. So you're ingesting less less in, um, you know, PCV designs, all that stuff to prolong. So now you're getting into vehicles that have 10, maybe up to 12, 15,000 mile oil interval changes. And, you know, for some people that might be, you know, a year or two years, depending on if you're in COVID or not, not even driving your vehicle. So, <laughs> so this off. is pretty applicable, I think, to a lot of folks, uh, especially now. So the TBN booster just top off a little bit in as far as an additive and then buy yourself another kind of year worth of uh lifespan or
2: on a gas engine. Yeah. And, and that's a complete package. And that's the same oil additive that we would bundle oils with. It's got our FR three in it and it's got a stabilizer in it as well. So it's made to stabilize the oil for, you know, at least a year, maybe two years. Um, again, it's it, that part of, it's not an exact science, but it's really inexpensive insurance. It only takes an app, like for a car, it would take an ounce. That's all it would take, and you know they come in sixteen ounce bottles.
1: Man, I, I am I am buying right now because uh, I've got a few toys, the hot rods included. And like I said, man, you know I hate changing, and even I feel like I'm even wasting my time. I'm wasting the oil if I'm changing it with only a couple thousand miles, a couple hundred miles here and there. Yeah, fifty exactly. <laughs> and uh, you know, change my hot rod oil every two years if I'm not you know ripping on it, or you know same thing with the boat or the dirt bike or whatever.
0: Man, all right. You just saved me a ton of time and wasted, uh, wasted cash for sure. All right, man. So here's what uh, we got to go into a break right now. But when we come back, I want you to talk about things that people hear all the time in, you know, in advertisements, film strength, shearing, things that we hear a lot about. But what's really happening in those, you know, it, when you, when you break it down, you know, to a level where you're looking at, um, give us the the in and out of you know how an oil goes from being a good oil to a medium grade to where you really need to get rid of it change it and put something a little better in there so um wrap your head around that we gotta take a break we'll come back it is two guys garage podcast he is kevin bird i will be we're back in just a minute It is the Two Guys Ride Podcast. He is Kevin Bird. I am Willie B. is presented by CarParts.com. We have Chris Cabral, check on from Hotshot Secret. Now, I, I got to tell you, man. So, your company, Hotshot Secret, right? Also, lubrication specialties. Uh, tell, t- tell us a little bit about what we hear most often. Because, in, I, I don't care where you go in advertising, in magazines, and whatever. When it comes to oils, right additives, you're going to hear a lot of these same words: film strength, shearing. Um, I really like to pick your brain. What what happens uh, in those processes that we hear a lot about that we may not quite understand? And and is it really something that that we got to address or, or watch and pay attention to?
2: So when when Kevin was talking earlier about hydrodynamic film strength so what we're talking about is how much space there is between two metal surfaces with the oil pushing through there now i always use the, ex- the example of like a jet ski pulling up you know the faster it goes the more it pulls off the water well the same thing happens between you know like a bearing and a surface the faster it goes the more oil that pushes through it the thicker the oil the, the more wide that surface is going to be or the space is going to be because you're pushing more oil through it the thinner the oil the less film strength the more that pressure is going to want to push the metal surfaces together. So that's when we're talking about film strength, you know, uh, a 15W40 would have more film strength than a 5W20, just because it's thicker, it would have more hydrodynamic lift. Um, when we're when we're looking at shear, you know, as a as a formulator, any oil company, we want to address all sides of the coin. So, you know, you start that engine up and it's zero degrees outside. You want that oil to be as thin as it could possibly be to get into all those little nooks and crannies and lubricate everything as quickly as possible because we don't want premature wear. But at the same time, when it's 90 degrees outside or 100 degrees, you want that film thickness to be as thick as it could possibly be. So the idea would be, you know, we would want the car manufacturer to say, hey, we've designed this to be as like as 5W20. So when it's cold outside, we want to be like a 5 weight. When it's hot outside or the engine's hot, we want to be like a 20 weight. It's still thinner, but it's closer to what a 20 weight would be when it's hot. So the, the way they do that is putting viscosity improvers in there. And if you could just imagine um, little rubber pellets or they're called polymers, but just imagine, you know, rubber pellets or stringy things, little rubber stringy things. Well, the problem is that those little stringy things or the, the pellets start to shear. So the more you run it, they cut in half and then in half again and in half again. So eventually, you've sheared all the VI improvers out of the oil, and you're left with what was your original base oil. So just for these aren't real numbers, but just to give you an idea. If I want to make a a 15W40, I want that oil to act like a 15 weight when it's cold out and like a 40 weight when it's hot. I might use a 25 weight base oil to start with and then put some pore point suppressants in it to thin it out when it gets cold and put some BI improvers in it to thicken it up when it gets hot. So, you know, like you can imagine, rubber, the warmer it gets, the more it swells. Well, that's what those are doing on a microscopic level. They're swelling up to make the oil a little bit thicker than it would be without it. Once all that is gone, it gets thin. So if you, like on a diesel engine, if you change your oil after, say, 20,000 miles, it feels almost like the consistency of a kerosene or something much thinner than the 1540 you put in Well, you've sheared it, you know, you've sheared all the BI improver out of there. So there's not much left. It's just the original base oil that you started with. And that's the way that works. So you, you want the most protection for your engine because that's the most expensive part. So you want to have, you know, the best of both worlds, nice and thin when it's cold and nice and thick when it's hot.
1: Well, no, that's a great explanation. I actually got to go into one of the oil blenders, you know, you see those big field of tanks, you know, driving on the road sometimes, uh, and they're blending in their packaging and bottles and stuff for various, you know, uh, customers or whatever. Uh, and so I got to, you know, stand up in one of these giant vats where they have the base oil come in, and then they start to, you know, open up. In this case, it was 55-gallon drums of various additives for the additive packages, and then I got to see them put in the VI improvers, so viscosity improvers. Uh, and and when I was there, it was literally. It looked like SpongeBob SquarePants. It was a giant square, you know, maybe like two and a half feet by two and a half feet by, I don't know, eight, ten inches tall. And it was just like a giant clear piece of silicone, you know, like if you squeezed out a billion, you know, silicon tubes into a square. Uh, And it just shredded it up, dropped it in there, heated it up, and I assume it just dissipated. So that was like an amazing visual of, oh, there is actual you know, look like silicone, but it looked like rubbery stuff in the oil. And like you said, those, those chains of molecules expand under heat. So they thicken up, they shrink when it's cold. So that's giving you that thicker side. And so that's what gets sheared and broken down over time and makes the oil, let's say less uh, viscosity, right? So, huh. Okay. But the base oil itself, does that break down as well? Or would that last, you know, much, much longer if you could add more VI to it?
2: Um, well, we get dirty, and you know, we get polluted. But other than that, the base oil stays what it is. So if, if in the, you know, one time I rate, this was years ago before we had PAO synthetics available as widely as they are today. But a, a race car driver asked me, you know, what would be the, the ultimate best way to make an oil? So I didn't have to deal with that. I said, well, in your case, I mean, ultimately, it would be to have a 40 weight, straight 40 weight. But before you started it, you'd have a block heater on there and you would heat it up so that it got thin and running before you started the car. (laughs) Because if you started with a 30 weight or a 40 weight, it wouldn't get to all those little places it needs to get.
1: Yeah, it's like gel. It'd take you half an hour to pump it through and syrup, you know? It's
2: all, you know, theoretically, you know, that would be the way to do it would be to have a, like a heater in there heat it up so it's thin and running before you start. But then it never shears. It stays 40 weight when it starts and it's 40 weight when it's done. But that's kind of hard to do.
0: All right, I got a question about heat and what it does to certain oils because uh, I've you know swapped out uh, on my race car. I went to a, a much tighter gear steering box and all of a sudden I started just wasting power steering pumps, right? Uh, the gearbox was heating up my power steering fluid so bad it was blowing all the seals inside the power steering pump. Um, so explain to me at what point... Um, how do you how do you protect against that? Um, and, and what is the best way to defend against that? Because I, I literally I ended up running a alternative cooler uh, with some fans on it and uh, a lot more fluid. Uh, I tried a lot of different things to remedy this this particular problem. Uh, and I know it's something that you probably uh, can, can enlighten us on.
2: So I think most likely what you were seeing happen is what they call fluid friction. So when you get an oil that's too thick for the application, your pump has to work twice as hard. So it's like running through molasses. Now all of a sudden you're slowing everything down. So there's most likely you have too much fluid friction in there and you're creating more heat and pressure just because it's trying to push something that it's not really designed to do. So whatever weight that was.
0: I went with the recommended weight it said on, the, on it.
2: Was it, but did you change the pump out to something different or did you change any of the specs?
0: No, no. I just changed the gearbox. I went to a Borgeson uh, fourteen to one gearbox, but everything else remained the same. I used the the fluid that they said to use, uh, and everything else. But I kept wasting the the power steering pump after that. So I finally had to put uh, an additional cooler on it uh, and run a lot more volume just just to keep the fluid cooler because it was getting so hot. It was uh it was just wasting my pump. Hot. Work
2: how did the how did the fluid feel was it real thin and runny when it was hot or did it feel thicker
0: it more more runny
2: what are you gonna say mm. i i would probably drop down a weight or put a synthetic in so that was like was it like a 30 weight oil or
0: yeah it's uh it's actually transmission fluid um it's uh you know because it, it's a power steering pump and it like recommend titanium. running a. yeah that's pretty thin yeah, if, if you're generating a lot of heat, um, you know, you mentioned about the film thickness earlier, you know, it really sounds like there wasn't enough of that film thickness to protect the two surfaces, and mm-hmm. you're generating a lot of heat as a result of that. And and so put, putting a cooler on it would definitely help. It gets your temperatures down and keep the fluid a little bit thicker, but it sounds like maybe you did need to goes a little heavier weight for
2: that application. See, I said thinner. He said heavier. (laughs) He's probably right. He's smarter than I am. But (laughs) that that would be a good application for um, the the FR3 or a new product. We're coming out with like a hub oil, just a little bit in there. We've had really good results in hubs where we are able to drop the temperature by 30 degrees. We We had a semi truck that had two hubs and he just used straight oil and one he used this new product that we made in the other. And after he drove for eight hours, checked the temperature in both of them and the treated one was 30 degrees lower than the other. But that would be a really good place to test it in the, in the area that you just said.
1: I was gonna say, you know, it could be because the one thing you did change was the gearbox and not the pump, um, you know, maybe that particular gearbox, maybe the, the tolerances were a little bit too, you know, too tight and you had a lot of metal to metal, you know, movement in there. Uh, so you didn't quite have as much, you know, clearance between those metal parts. So you're, you're building up heat too fast because of that, uh, gearbox, perhaps, you know, maybe it was just built a little bit too tight. Uh, everything just started compounding. Uh, so it might've been a little bit of uh, a few things in there, but as, as I said, you know, try one way, try the other way on viscosity, but definitely keeping the fluid from breaking down from temperature would be a huge.
0: Yeah, what's the worst thing? You know, as far as temperature goes, you hear a lot of that coking. Um, you know, you hear about you know turbos are a good a good example where you have a lot of that that oil burning, and that causes a lot of problems because once that oil gets too hot, it starts sticking to everything, and has kind of a reverse effect. So, what do you have, or what do you make, what do you recommend for people that are fighting those type of issues?
2: So we make a product called Stiction Eliminator. That's our, that's its sole purpose is to remove that sticky friction inside there. And one of the trends that we say, we see the most in today's automobiles is because they're putting turbos on everything. And then they have the LS engines and what they call displacement?
0: Yeah, displacement on demand.
2: Displacement on demand engines. So what they're doing is they're shutting down half the cylinders when you get on the freeway. So you don't have to you know burn the gas for that when you don't need that much horsepower. So what's happening though, is inside those, inside that part that shut down, we don't have oil pumping through it and we're getting coked up oil in there. So we're getting that same stiction problem that we have with diesel engines 10 years ago. We're seeing it on gas engines now. The turbo is the same way, you know, that turbo bearing is, you know, about the size of my little finger. And, you know, you're, you're running exhaust gases through there at eight, 900 degrees, and then you shut the engine down. So that oil that's left in there, which is probably, you know, what? a gram of oil It just sits, sits there and sizzles on it, and you can watch your turbo boost go down over time. You know, like over the first hundred thousand miles, it's less than when you started. the second hundred thousand miles it's even less. So the, the station eliminator was made to go in there and clean all that off. And what was unique about the way we developed that product is not only does it clean, but it also super lubricates the inside. You know a lot of a lot of products out there can clean um, you know with a solvent base where you know, it's basically like putting a mineral spirits or a kerosene in there and you're stripping out, but that ruins your hydrodynamic film. And on top of that, it creates excess of wear. So we get a lot of abrasion and things. In our case, there's no solvents in it. It's just all group five esters and nanocarbons. So not only are we cleaning, but we're also lubricating and reducing the wear and increasing the horsepower. So it's really a unique blend of what we're able to create and, by doing that. And that's the Stixion Eliminator? Yep, the Stixion Eliminator. So we're, you know, we're using uh, group five esters in there, nanocarbons and detergents, and it's made to go in there and clean up. But at the same time, there's nothing in there that's harmful. So, you know, your your normal thought process is to think, you know, well, I just put a cleaner in there. I want to get it out as quickly as possible. Ours is the opposite. You want to leave it in there as long as you possibly can You know, for a whole oil change, because the longer it's in there, the more good it does. You know, it's, it's getting into all those little areas that don't normally get attention, and it's cleaning out any little varnish or stiction that's in there, and then it's leaving a coating of, of nanocarbons behind it that kind of lubricate it and reduce the wear. So we're we're actually, you know, creating a, you know, super lubrication inside the
1: engine. In our test, we were able to reduce wear by 62%.
2: Wow.
1: Yeah, and I think a lot of people don't realize that um, you kind of mentioned it. Even if you're monitoring your oil temperature and your sump or wherever, uh, that's not necessarily where the localized oil temperatures are. So real quick, remind us you know where you see typical oils breaking down from temperatures. That would be you know just general sump temperature that you're probably going to see. And then clearly things are escalating when you get into these tight spaces and you don't have a lot of flow. But where does oil you know what what temperature would we want at least to be, you know, let's say we're racing, we're pushing things hard. Where do you feel comfortable with standard oil? And then, uh, you know, when we get into synthetics, what would you recommend keeping as far as a temperature below?
2: I think that oil starts to um, oxidize at about 180. Is that right? So anything above 180, you're going to start to see carbonization. Now, how bad that is is how much above that temperature it gets. Now, the oil temperature in the sump could be lower than that, but the turbo bearing is going to be higher than that. Um, you know, some of the cams areas like that, the bearing, the main bearings where you have a lot of friction right on. That's where you're gonna see hot. We call them hot spots. I know there's a better term for that, but you know, if you were able to get into the magic school bus and go inside and monitor those temperatures, <laughs> you'd see <laughs> you'd be able to see these little hot spots inside there where it's really hot and you see bake you'd see the oil baking.
0: Wow, 180 is not that hot. I I you know, I run one I my old temps always above 180 <laughs> uh, on, on my car. so that's uh, that's kind of scary actually to think about oil start to break down at that temp.
2: Well, and then the additives will help some of that along. You know, the additives that they put in the engine oil, but just the it oil on its own when when they do tests, what they look for oxidation. The two things that will add to the oxidation are moisture and any kind of metals. So, if you were to put a if you were to put the oil in a test tube and cook it to 180, they might look okay, but then as soon as you put a couple of drops of water in and a zinc. Coupon steel coupon or a sliver of zinc, you would watch it start to turn brown it, like within one minute,
1: yeah. So, I guess wow. there's when does it start to break down, Willie? And then, when does it just fall on its face? And you got you know such watery oil that you got metal metal contact, and that's when you're just frying parts instantly. Uh, but yeah, I know you know, if it wasn't for the amount of flow going through mains and rod bearings, uh, we'd have some serious problems because, like you said. Th- the amount of pressure and shearing, especially at those high RPMs, uh, you're shearing oil so fast, so rapidly, that the oil can spike in temperature, but it's getting spit out and replaced by fresh oil. So, you know, that's the one thing, keeping things alive, you don't realize how on the edge you are. Uh, But that's part of the design, is getting the right flow in some of those applications. Uh, And we talked about um, the turbo, what gets tricky, because, you know, you might be building up, uh, let's say, rapid temperature in the crank main and rods as you're you know, under load, but as soon as you shut the engine off, uh, you take the pressure and the spinning and the shearing away, eh, not a big deal. But when you shut the engine off of a turbo and the oil stops flowing and it's just sitting there and that turbo is baking hot, then you're baking the oil, you're not replacing it with fresh oil flowing through the turbo and it just gets smoked. Same thing with brake fluid in your caliper. You know, uh, as you're, as you're driving, you're cooling the rotor, but you know, they always say when you get down at the end of the race, you want a cool down lap so your rotor can cool down. Cause otherwise if you just stop that rotor will just send heat right into the caliper, bake the fluid. So it's very similar on, you know, some of the components within an engine and other areas that, uh, will, will smoke the fluid locally. And that, I think that's probably where you're getting a lot of your coking is probably shutdown.
2: That's what we call stiction. Yep. Yeah.
0: We hate stiction. We hate mm-hmm. stiction, Um, and, and we hate running out of time, which unfortunately we have. Uh, man, where do people find more about you? Where do people uh, find out more about you, your company, and everything you guys are doing? Uh,
2: you can go to our Facebook page for hotshotseeker.com. Our website is hotshotseeker.com. We try to post a lot of white papers, information. Uh, we do have a full staff of customer service people. We have diesel mechanics on staff. Um, we try to solve problems. That's what we're here to do is solve problems. Our products solve problems. We try to solve problems, whether it is one of our products or not. Um lubrication specialties is our is the main company and lubricationspecialties.com, There's a lot more information on there for other products that aren't hot shot secret, like filters, the France filters, you know, other areas that we would delve into, greases and such.
0: All right, man. All impressive stuff, all very informative. And I'm telling you, this guy is a wealth uh of knowledge when it comes to all things you know oils um anything like that he's like we call he's the einstein of additives He has earned that name wholeheartedly and hey we we thank you for it man it's great every time we have you on we learn something it just goes so fast we need more time i know it does it just goes so fast it's crazy uh well look hey don't forget about our show Aaron Weekends on the Motor Trend Network check your local listings also streaming on Motor Trend on demand which is a great way to find us uh thanks to our guest Chris Kaprojek, uh and his buddy in there Kevin Kevin you were essential today man it was you're a man of few words but they counted bro they counted uh, I produce a scoop. Uh, he is Kevin Bird. executive producer Bob Ecker. Oh, man. Don't forget to check out our website,
1: twoguysgarage.com. We've got tons of cool stuff on there, behind the scenes products we use. And we're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Two Guys Garage. Now, The Two Guys Garage podcast is copyright 2021, Britain Productions Incorporated. That means all rights reserved. Yeah. You know what, man? I I picked up some more goods today, uh, more smarts, and the best thing I got out of today, I'm going to walk away
0: not feeling so damn guilty about not changing my oil all the time. (laughs) Uh, Hey, man, he can make you where you never change your oil. He's got got people out there that never change their oil. Maybe we'll talk about that next time. Uh, It's always great having you on, Chris. We love you, man. We'll catch you on the next Two Guys Garage podcast, you guys. Take care, guys. Two Guys Garage podcast is produced by Britain Productions. For more episodes,
1: visit iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.